welcome to Anchored, a podcast brought to you by The Word Unleashed, the preaching and teaching ministry of Tom Pennington. For more of Tom's content or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org. On this episode of Anchored, Tom talks about how Jesus had absolute confidence in the scripture. To put it this way, Jesus had a high view of the Bible. Now here's Tom exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Jesus also referred to the Old Testament as the commandment of God in Mark 7, verses 8 and 9. In Mark 7, verse 13, he called the Old Testament the Word of God. It is God's Word, His statement, His message. Jesus taught that the Old Testament was the product of the Holy Spirit. In Mark 12, 36, he says, David himself said, in the Holy Spirit. And then he quotes from David in Psalms. This isn't all. Take a passage like Mark 4. In the temptation, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy and affirms the truth of Deuteronomy. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What was he saying was, every, what, was the place you could find every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's Abel to Zechariah. It's Genesis to Malachi. In John 10, verse 35, Jesus has this amazing statement. He says, the scripture cannot be broken. I'm not going to take you there because of time, but let me just give you the essence of Jesus' argument there. Jesus says, listen, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, belongs to the body of inspired books we call the Scripture. Therefore, what Psalm 82.6 says is true and is Scripture. And then he says, all of Scripture generally, and particularly this verse that he quotes possesses such an absolute authority that it cannot be broken. B.B. Warfield says it is impossible for the Scripture to be annulled, its authority to be withstood or denied. That's what Jesus was saying. Scripture cannot be broken. John 17, 17, he prays in his high priestly prayer, Lord, sanctify the Father, sanctify them in the truth or by means of the truth. And then he says... Your word is truth. Look at Matthew twenty-two, thirty-two. Turn there with me. I want you to see this in its context. Matthew twenty-two. And let's get a a running start here. You remember the story in verse 23. The Sadducees come to Jesus. This is the, probably the Tuesday of the Passion Week. He's, on, he's teaching on the Temple Mount. They come to him to trip him up in his words. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They knew Jesus did. So they come with a, tw- a question that they think, this will trick him. This will trip him up. And you remember how it goes. Uh, in the end, here is this um, woman who becomes the, the wife of, Because of death, she becomes the wife of seven brothers. Verse 28, 
In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they had all married her. They think this, is, this makes the resurrection stupid, the Sadducees think. Look at the problems this is going to create. Jesus answered and said to them, verse 29, You are mistaken, I love this, not understanding the Scripture or the power of God. You don't know what the Bible says, and you don't understand who God is. For in the resurrection they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And then Jesus is going to prove the resurrection from the Scripture, but he has to quote from the Pentateuch because the Sadducees rejected the rest of the Old Testament. They were the liberals of their day. They only embraced the Pentateuch. And so Jesus gets them. Verse 31, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the, de- he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. What's Jesus doing here? That passage comes from Exodus. 400 years after Abraham's death. Think about this. 400 years after Abraham's death, God says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham. <laughs> Jesus was making a proof of the future resurrection from Exodus 3, verse 6, by arguing on the emphatic present tense of the verb to be. In other words, he's saying, God didn't say to Moses, I was the God of Abraham, although Abraham had lived 400 years before. No, Jesus says, he says, I am the God of Abraham. Do you see what Jesus just did? He has so much confidence in the Old Testament that he forms an argument for the resurrection based on the tense of the verb to be. Let me show you another example in this same chapter. Go down to verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. I love this. Okay, you've had your fun. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, and this was the general understanding about who the Messiah was to be. You read 2 Samuel 7. Clearly the Messiah is to come from David. So they say he's the son of David. And he said to them, Then how does David say in the Spirit... How does David in the Spirit call him Lord? And he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. He says, David's David's speaking, and he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls the Messiah, his future descendant, Lord, how is he his son? Now again, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is arguing for the deity of the Messiah. He's not saying that he wouldn't be the son of David. He's saying he wouldn't just be the son of David. He's going to be greater than David. David wouldn't call one of his human descendants Lord. That's Jesus' point. So do you see what Jesus is doing here? 
Jesus builds his case for the deity of the Messiah on one Hebrew word. What I want you to see, folks, is that Jesus believed the Bible down to its very words, its verb tenses. And that's the basis on which he argued. Go back now to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to finish by looking back at the text we were looking at when we started. Matthew 5, verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus says, it's easier for the universe as we know it to be completely destroyed than for the smallest Hebrew letter, even the small little distinguishing stroke added to a letter to pass away. It's easier for the universe to pass away than for anything in Scripture not to be accomplished. In fact, notice how he puts it, until all is accomplished. The Greek word for accomplished here in verse 18 is different than the word fulfilled back in verse 17. Literally, the word in verse 18 means to happen or to come to pass. Jesus says it's easier for the universe to be destroyed than for anything, the smallest little stroke that's written in Scripture, to fail to happen. What I want you to see, folks, is that Jesus was emphasizing the utter trustworthiness, truthfulness, certainty, inerrancy of the Scripture. If you don't believe this, then you won't respond to this book the way God wants you to respond to this book. You will have every right, if you doubt the inerrancy of this book, if you doubt its reliability, if unlike Jesus, you aren't willing to put your hopes on a verb tense, then you will neglect this book. And your views will change and you'll be willing to give ground in order to look reputable with the people around you. To fit in. Within the last couple of years, a professor stood up at a seminary class in an evangelical seminary right here in our city and told his students that if they were going to defend the traditional doctrine of inerrancy, they need to be prepared to be disappointed. What I want you to see, folks, from our study tonight is that that view is out of step with historic Christianity, and it is certainly out of step with the clear beliefs and statements of our Lord. You can have complete confidence in the Scriptures you hold. We'll talk about preservation and translation next week. But what I want you to understand is that book you hold in your hand is utterly trustworthy. Jesus affirmed it. He affirmed the Old Testament and he handpicked the writers of the new. And he commanded us, as we'll see next week, to read it, to love it, to meditate on it, to obey it, down to its smallest precept. That's how you ought to treat the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anchored Podcast. If you'd like to access additional content from Tom, 
or if you're interested in partnering with The Word Unleashed, please visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org and be sure to connect with us on social media. We look forward to studying God's Word together with you on the next episode of Anchored.